0: Welcome to The New Era by Web3 Connect. We're helping you break barriers and build brands in Web3, the next generation of internet. Hey everyone, welcome back to Web3, The New Era. Today we are interviewing art by Beth C., who is a licensed creative art therapist, quote unquote, in real life, and a one-of-one NFT artist and collector in Web3. Listen in to hear Beth talk about the significance of NFTs to art history, the trials and tribulations of selling your artwork, and the success she's seen after transitioning from primarily Instagram-based marketing to creating NFT collections, how to price your one-of-one NFTs, and her artistic inspiration rooted in experimentation and controlling the uncontrollable. Beth sheds light on the paradigm shift we are seeing with blockchain and NFT technology and how that's changing the lives of creatives all over the world. So with that, let's get into the interview. All right, and we are live. So today we have Beth with us. She is most known in the space for being a one of one NFT artist and collector, but she does many other things as well. So I will pass it over to you, Beth, to tell us a little bit more about yourself.
1: Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, I am Art by Beth C, as my Twitter handle goes and what I go as in the space. I am a one over one artist, specifically on Solana, majority wise. And I have been in this space since about November of twenty twenty-one. I did not know what an NFT was prior to that and I dove right in. So I am a traditional artist and I have been very lucky to sell one over one pieces and collections and commissions in the space and have recently myself become a collector as well and had just love the the community in Solana and the NFT world and the one over one world in Solana, which is I'm so excited to talk about it with you guys. It's so different, and it's it's. I just want everyone to come to it.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. So you were originally a traditional artist, and then somehow you found yourself in the space of digital art. Is that correct? Can you talk a little bit about how you sort of got here?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I have an IRL job, so I don't do this full time. I am actually a licensed creative arts therapist in real life. So I am a director of a mental health agency in New York. So that's what I do on one of the jobs, right? And then we have our other job, our NFT job. Before NFTs, before being onboarded, I had always just sold art on the side. It was my Web2, Instagram gig, which a lot of us come from here. And I was doing watercolor pet portraits. I was getting commissions. And I was doing that for just about three years, like on the side. And when the pandemic hit, I was able to do that way more. And I got commissioned by the right person. <laughs> and that person brought me on. And that person who I'm so beyond grateful to is 0 X Banana. Shout out to Banana, who's pretty big in the space. He was an influencer and OG Solana, one over one artist as well. Brought me in, taught me everything I knew. And I was brought into the space during the bull market, during the, the big run where Solana was at its high. It was like 250. It was the wag me world. It was GMs every five seconds. And I started selling watercolor commissions getting into the space. And that's kind of how I built my name. I didn't have a Twitter, never thought I would tweet or do anything like that. I was like, no, I'm good on Instagram. And then I just did it and it really like changed my outlook on everything. So I was able to come into the space and start selling watercolor commissions of blue chip NFTs. Like i the different thing with that is, I like I said, I was a traditional artist, and at that time, it, the one over one space is not what it is now. It, it like NFT months is like dog years. It's like November of twenty twenty one feels like a b- billion years ago because the meta was so different then. The space was different. We have different platforms now. We have different tools now. So I didn't see a lot of other traditional artists in the space at the time. So. I just had to figure it out. (laughs) And it wasn't easy. I had to turn my physical pieces into digital pieces to mint them as NFTs. So it was a lot of trial and error, which I have down to a science now. And I love helping other people figure it out too. But we have a lot more um, traditional artists in the space now, which is so wonderful. But yeah, I needed to do something to set me apart and build a following since I did start from zero. It was just like the right time for it. So I have never been a digital artist. I did like would never call myself a digital artist. I love everyone that can do those things. It's like foreign language to me. So give me a paper and a pencil any day. But yeah, I just I worked in the space to try to figure it out and I knew that there was like a lot of opportunity here. So it's really any artist can figure it out here and just because it wasn't really big then didn't mean that it wasn't going to succeed in the space. It just meant it was just new because We were all new. Everything was new. Solana's like barely how old, you know?
2: like less than a year, I think coming up on like a year, right? Or something like, it might've been around a bit longer. I actually wasn't around for its like inception. I just heard about it. a
1: year though, you're right. (laughs) Yeah, it
2: really hasn't been that long, but the infrastructure is incredible. What it offers to these artists. So I was wondering, actually, you mentioned you did like Instagram art and you try to push your art through there and get a few sales. But can you talk about like what the blockchain brings to artists and kind of this time, how that's a transition in art history?
1: Absolutely. It's like my favorite thing to talk about to get people in. And when I joined in the bull market, I loved, obviously we're in a bear market now, so it's fiscally a little different, but I used to love telling people because at this time, this was factual. I had made more in three months in NFTs than I did in three years on Instagram. So I always pushed that because it it was true at the time for for what Solana was and what I had made uh, up until three months. And it was just, it's unreal what this could do for artists. And what I mean by that is we are living art history. There is not one time in history, in art history, that a creative, an artist, has the opportunity to create work and then forever, in perpetuity, make money from that work. Like, we are able to put royalties on our pieces. And it's up to the artist to decide what percentage royalty that is and let's say, I mean, we know artists now, right? If we think about all the museums and Banksy and like the MoMA and the Met and Sotheby's, right? All these really big auction houses that are so far apart from, I feel like, normal life. You have to be like a really wealthy person or type of person to kind of be in that realm of art, that fine art world in real life. Those pieces are selling for millions and millions of dollars. But if, you're not the artist. Like, if you're the artist, you're not making that money anymore. Whoever's selling it is making that money. And that artist isn't seeing any of that. So, that artist could have sold that Banksy or whatever in the beginning before they had a name for $20. And now they're being sold at Sotheby's for a million, right? So, the artist isn't seeing that million dollars. But here, <laughs> this is actually what's happening where you can sell your piece, for example, the most famous one over one artist in Solana, John Lay, right? His first piece sold for what, one, 2.5 soul or something, something really small. And he's selling 200, 500 soul. He's still seeing royalties from those sales. So it's not, I just sold this at one price and then it's done. It's I'm selling this. And if I become a name or if my name ever gets big, or if I ever, you know, push my brand, I can forever make money off of this. So it really changes the meta of the idea of the starving artist, which I'm putting in quotes because it doesn't exist here anymore, or it has the opportunity to not exist here anymore. If you work the space in a smart way, (laughs) which a lot of people are doing. I think there was a statistic early on that on Holoplex's auctions, right? Like 60% of auctions were getting bids, which means 60% of art that was selling was being sold. And I think if you talk to people in real life, like artists on a day-to-day basis that are not in Web3 and not in NFTs, ask them when was the last time they sold a piece, right? Like really think about like how easy or difficult it was selling in real life versus this. I've sold over 50 pieces in less than six months, which that number in comparison to like the real time, it's just... It's mind blowing. So this is unbelievably a moment in art history. I don't know, it's just so exciting. And I just I love emphasizing that we are living art history because this has never, ever, ever happened before. So it really gives creatives an opportunity to make money off of their work. And not just the artist, right? It's the artist or it let's say you're a photographer, it's the model. It's like any creative aspect involved in that art piece. And it, it has So many, many ways to go. So I I love talking about that. So thank you for asking that.
2: It's almost like you're getting equity in your art, right? And in yourself, right? Because traditionally, like you mentioned, you you sell the one piece and you're done with it. But now as you, as like a creator, as you get more kind of reputation and your pieces start to sell for more, you have equity in what those future valuations are going to be because you get a little chunk of that every time. Love how you phrase that. Really well said.
1: Yeah. It pushes you to create this brand. Like we're all brands. Every artist in the space is a business person, whether they realize it or not, like they're creating a brand. I have a brand on Art by Beth C. So when we start realizing that there's just so much potential, like financially, artistically, creatively, like where this can really go.
2: I have a challenge for you. Uh Describe your brand in like one phrase <laughs> or one word? <laughs>
1: oh, my brand in one phrase or one word? Let's see. um, Community and equality. Those three words, but I went with the phrase instead of the word.
2: Yeah, no, that, that counts. <laughs> what does that mean to you though? The community aspect of that?
1: The community aspect is everything in this space. So like I said, I'm a therapist in real life. So connections and relationships and emphasis on that I think is everything I think we can't do anything without each other you know you don't have artists selling without collectors buying you don't have you know people viewing if you're not posting it's 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 a it's a relationship that we're all building in the space and in web 3 especially like I have friends all over the world now (laughs) that is insane to think about like I talk to people in bali or lebanon or wherever i'm in new york and i actually like truthfully have friends all over and it's the community aspect i mean this week in particular is nft nyc and i met a bunch of my collectors last night and it was unreal and it was literally just like meeting friends like we didn't miss a beat we hugged and it was like not a stranger, even though technically we're all strangers to each other. We just like message each other on Twitter, but it really is about community and building each other up. I was brought into this space and people helped me. A lot of people helped me. They answered my questions. They pointed me in directions of other people to figure out what to do and how to do it. And I try to do that for other people because it was done for me. And this is how we build the community. And I love my brand kind of being about that too, which is why I host the weekly spaces for Solana one over one artists, because it's really about helping everyone. Like if you help everyone, it's good karma, like it'll come back like it and it does come back, you have artists that are selling their pieces, or you have people that are so grateful, or you know, it's just, you're doing good deeds, and you're getting good deeds. So the community aspect, I think, is everything, because that's what this space is all about.
0: One hundred percent. I mean, at least from what I can tell, I'm not like super, super integrated in the one of one art world in real life and digitally, but community and art is just, they just go hand in hand. They're like two sides of the same coin. And I'm very curious to hear your take on elaborating on what you were talking about earlier of why you think it's so much more difficult to sell your art in real life and to kind of make a a good livable wage selling your art in real life versus in the NFT space. Is it what you were just talking about that you're able to tap into such a larger audience on a global scale? Is there just kind of a larger population of collectors in the NFT space? Like, what do you think is
1: the reason for that? Mm, That's a great question. It's good to point that out, because I I don't think I've ever thought about it like that. But yeah, I do think it's, you're able to build a relationship, and I think in real life, like you have to be put into a gallery, right or you have to get your art somewhere, you have to be in some bougie art school or you know be put in the front of the eyes of certain people that based on whatever reason, socioeconomic status, where you live, uh, your whatever it is, that's not as plausible. Access to entry is so much smaller for people in real life, I think to get their art out there, or to, you know, just get eyes on it. And I think that in Web3 and in the metaverse and in this world, we have that opportunity where we can talk to absolutely anyone and everyone, and they're able to get to know us. It's not just a passing fleeting thing where I'm just seeing your art and then I'm moving on. It's I'm seeing your art and I'm able to connect with you. And I think those connections, I mean, I've had a lot of people that I've connected with that later became collectors, that I know collectors personally that like to get to know their artists and the art pieces that they're going to collect. Like, it's definitely accessibility, I think. And the accessibility in Solana, like with gas fees and transaction fees and things like that, like, it's so it's so easy to be onboarded. Like anyone can really do this in Solana specifically. I know other blockchains have higher gas fees. It's more difficult to entry (laughs) into those. So, but in Solana, you pay 30 cents and a gas fee and you mint your first piece and you're able to make money and start selling. And it really is just about your presence and your ability to connect with people. Because once you're able to connect with people, they're able to see your work, and they want to support you in this community. Like we want to support each other. So that's I think that's the main thing. It's like we're able to get to know each other here, versus in real life where you have to be in a very specific niche or place in your life to be put in front of those collectors. I'm trying to think about it. I'm like, what collectors do I know in real life? Like maybe I went to an arts high school, like or in, in the arts college as well, and. I know one teacher that was a real collector, right? But that's one in my head. If I think about how many collectors I know now, I can just keep the list going on and on versus like in the metaverse world.
0: Mm. You bring up such an interesting and valid point that the connection and getting to know people like that carries over into the quote unquote traditional NFT investor space, right? Beyond one of one art. People are creating NFT projects and, you know, the C-suite of that project, the CEO, the CTO, the COO are just average people that you can literally message on Discord and have a conversation with. And that type of connection and interaction with C-suite members of startups or corporations in real life, that is just not as accessible. It's really not possible in a lot of cases.
1: It doesn't happen.
0: Right. Exactly. So you bring up such a good point that that, I think, is such a core differentiator for how we operate here in Web3 versus Web2. And I hope that we never lose that.
1: Yeah, I don't think we will, too. I mean, I'm hoping we don't. Right now, everything's on Twitter. It's on Twitter, it's on Discord, it's on Telegram, it's on all these things. But really, like, to get your eyes on stuff, it's Twitter. Like, it's building your presence on this platform. So I'm sure, you know, through time, things are going to change and everything. But As long as it's right where it is right now and things are as they are, like you are able to build and able to just talk to people and get into those spaces with people.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Can you tell us a little bit about... Your kind of artistic style? Like, do you typically tend to create a certain style of art or do you more so experiment pretty often? And also, how did you kind of come to find your style when you were first starting out?
1: Yeah, for sure. So, when I first started in the space, like I said, I was doing commissions of blue chip NFTs or, you know, really whatever you commissioned me for because I was trying to hustle in the space, I was trying to build a brand. And after a while, I saw the one over one space kind of start picking up more. And I was seeing people just sell their stuff, like post collections and post this. And I was like, wow, that seems so much, like, way less stressful than what I'm doing. Because it's, it's tough doing commissions. And, you know, you want a satisfied customer and people have expectations, and, which was great. And I'm super grateful for it. But I jumped from that to releasing a collection because I was like, you know what? I want to try it. I hadn't done that previously. So I was nervous, but I actually went the abstract expressionism route, which was the complete opposite from what my commissions were. I was doing, you know, pet portraiture and watercolor and pen and ink and things like that. So my collections kind of evolved into this really loose abstract expressionism focusing on color. So my first collection was eight pieces and each one was a piece of the rainbow. Each color, there was a red one, a yellow one, a blue one, and so on. And the idea with that is I wanted my first collection to really highlight equality and, you know, using the rainbow as a symbolism and a metaphor and bringing that into the space that we need all the colors. (laughs) You know, we need all the colors in life. We need to treat everyone equally and, and just kind of go that way. And I love experimenting with the medium. So I was using alcohol inks, which for people that don't know, it's a very loose medium. You have to use it on a special surface and things like that. And and it really created this beautiful texture. And I did that originally because I was seeing all this digital art and these fractal art and these things that like, I'm not a digital artist. So I was just like, well, how cool would it be if I can create this by hand? So that's kind of really where my style developed in the space of these collections of abstractions that had really bright colors and vibrancy and texture and depth and layers. And it was really just to see who would connect with it. And art is subjective. If you you don't like someone's art, that's totally okay. Okay. I always tell people, if you connect with it, wonderful. And if you don't, that is not a problem. But I did three collections using that same medium and paper and alcohol ink. And my fourth collection, my most recent, I wanted to switch it up a little bit. So those three collections, I also added a utility to my art, which we know in Solana utility is really big on the PFP projects. And I wanted to add that for one over one artists as well. Because it's a struggle. It was a struggle more so than it is now to bring collectors in and get people like to understand the one over one art space and like why it's really important to invest in the one over one space. You're not just buying this piece because you like it. Like it's also an investment, just like your PFP projects and your generative projects. So I wanted to up the ante and I added a utility of not only do you get the NFT, if you mint the NFT, you also get the physical framed and shipped to you. So my first three collections, I was shipping all over the world. Like they all sold out. The last two sold out the same day. And I was just shipping these pieces, which was wonderful. But then it, I started thinking about this conversation of, and it's a debate in the space right now because the space is so early that there's no like real legal, like it's it's kind of debatable of what happens when you own the NFT, you own it on the blockchain and you sell your NFT, but you still hold the physical. Because then we're talking about ownership and blockchain and physical and things like that. So I wanted to create this conversation and point it out in my next collection. So what I did is I, again, created it by hand. I ended up doing alcohol inks on layered acrylic glass, which created a much different effect. And and I was really excited about it. And what I did after I created it is then I destroyed it. So now that collection purely only exists in the metaverse. And it was created by hand, but now no physicals exist of it. So that was kind of my journey with my collections. And I have an upcoming collection that I'm in progress working on. And it's I think a lot of it is experimentation because this whole space, in my opinion, and like how I feel about the space is experimenting and seeing new things. And I think that's the exciting part about this space.
2: A hundred percent. You get to follow your curiosity in a million different directions, especially when you're doing art. Right. And I wanted to ask for you, like, what's the source of your inspiration? Maybe you're like your curiosity. What's the source where all this different art comes from? Because it seems like you make a lot.
1: I do make a lot of art uh, when I can. Sometimes it's hard. It's hard to balance it sometimes. I think every artist in the space will tell you that. My inspiration, I love. So, I mean, I was using watercolor. Alcohol inks is You don't paint with it. You use air to manipulate it. So I'm using like a blow dryer or other tools to kind of move it around a non-porous surface. So for me personally, I love trying to control the uncontrollable. Like I'm using the least controllable mediums that you could ever use. And as an art therapist, I know this because there's certain mediums that we wouldn't give certain populations because they're triggering or it might not be a good thing to do. So With my art therapy background, I've always loved that idea of trying to use those mediums and see what you can create with it. Like It's really just like metaphors for going with the flow and and creating something beautiful out of something that might be a disaster or turning it into that because it's whatever you want it to be.
2: And I know this is slightly off topic, but it's super topical for you, of course. Can you talk about the, the art therapy a little more in detail? Can you give like a kind of an overview of how is it even therapeutic? It's so interesting to me, but I know so little about it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You'd be surprised. There's people in the field that have no idea what we do. <laughs> so I, I love talking about it. And really, an art therapist, so you're a licensed clinician. So I'm an LCAT in New York, LCAT ATRBC. And not all states in America have the license. Some do, some don't. We have a national license as well. And basically, you have a master's degree, you have your board's exam, you go through the same mental health curriculum as social workers do, or marriage and family therapists, or mental health clinicians, and things like that. And we have the bonus knowledge of knowing how to read another language, a nonverbal language. So, Art therapists, like a psychotherapist, but we can use creative outlets to either work on trauma or express things or kind of use it as a a modality to heal. And the way I love explaining it is that art is one of our first languages. So we, we don't grow up just speaking words. Like if English is, let's say English is our first language. We didn't grow up like with English as our first language. Technically, we grew up with our first language being play and art. So if we realize that and then we're tapping into the subconscious and you're unconscious of how you really feel about things and and you don't even know how much your art says about you or what it can say about you or just how important it is to express through art. There's an age, and in my opinion, this is not fact, it's like around like fifth grade where people stop doing art, like kids stop doing art. I think they're either told they're good at it or they're not and then they stop. And then the good ones kind of keep going or they go to art school or they do something fun with it. But somewhere we eventually just stop doing art as adults too. And it's so detrimental not to have that creative outlet and whatever your art is, if your art is music, if it's dance, if it's fine art, we have to still do those things because you're using a completely different side of your brain and it's stimulating that. So it's actually insanely healthy to use our first language in expressing and healing in just daily life in general.
0: It's so interesting that you just brought that up because I have been thinking a lot about that too in that when we're younger, art seems to be such a big component of our lives. And I myself used to be very into painting, drawing, anything artistic, and I lost that part of me. And I think a lot of people, a lot of adults especially, feel like, oh, I'm just not creative, right? Like that whole right brain versus left brain debate. And I guess, how do you go about as a, you know, a licensed art therapist, how do you go about sparking that inspiration to be creative again in somebody that might be sort of resistant to it?
1: Oh, that's the classic. That's my favorite. That's the, I'm not an artist. I can't draw. I'm not creative. And it's, We have to. We're all creative, and creativity looks different for everybody. But it's it's just a muscle that you have to use, and people don't realize that if you want to draw, like anyone can draw, and we just think everyone should be drawing like Da Vinci and Michelangelo, and it's not true. And it really just takes practice, even that. But I, in art therapy, at least, people really focus in life in general on the product right? Even as one of our own artists or artists in real life, you're focusing on the product, the end product. What does it look like in the end? In art therapy, you're focusing on the process. So it doesn't even matter what it looks like in the end. A lot of the times it's really about the entire process. What did this do for you processing the art even? And mind you, processing the art is usually done with a licensed art therapist. There is things that we do called art as therapy And art as therapy is like those adult coloring books or, you know, doing some art for fun. Like those are all therapeutic too. It's just a different type of therapeutic, which is art as therapy. So I always like to differentiate because it really is a licensed profession where you can really deep dive into therapy and trauma
2: through art therapy. Actually, I'm wondering now that you say that, because I've kind of been toying with this idea of like resistance and like accepting resistance. Is that a part of the therapeutic process with creating art with especially with people that have never done it because i would imagine when i'm just creating some crappy art and i haven't done this in maybe like six months like i find resistance when i don't like what the end product is turning into and i'll just kind of reject the process i'm curious if that's related to what you do
1: totally i mean in in the therapeutic practice like everything is part of the, the therapeutic journey right are you resistant to it what does that say you know, I've had people that, like, will do a scribble because they're scoffing at what art therapy is, and then I'll ask them something. and be like, hey, what happened when you were, like, this age? And then they'll stop in their tracks and they'll go, wait, how did you know that? And I'm like, because your art is telling me that. There are art therapists that, that are psychoanalytic that analyze art or that, you know, that can deep dive into art. It really does tell a lot about you. Even if you think you're kind of just resistant you're scribbling you're scoffing it's like your mark making that you do the pressure that you put you know where your composition is this is what art therapists are actually trained in in school and through their boards so it's really magical when you see it in person so I always love talking about it and it's just really showing people that it is our first it's one of our first languages it's not the spoken word it is our art our expressive arts how we express ourselves and you'll probably be surprised at how much your art tells you without even realizing it.
2: That's fascinating. For anyone listening, and myself included, if I wanted to get a taste of art therapy for myself without a therapist, one, is that safe to do? And two, is it any different from just doing art and seeing how you feel?
1: Um, I love you for asking this question so much because Oh my God. Do you guys remember when coloring books came out and they were like, art therapy, adult coloring books? I don't. You don't? No. No. (laughs) Well, there was like, when adult coloring books were like a really big thing, they were labeled as art therapy. And the art therapy world, which is not a huge world of us, most of us know each other, was so enraged by it because that's art as therapy. So... To get a taste of it, like it would be best to go to an art therapist or talk to an art therapist or touch base with a school that has a credentialed art therapy program. There's definitely plenty of resources online, depending on where you are, and it's all over the world too. Um, I know art therapists in Ireland and you know, so on. So it's definitely just looking more into the research base, and if you have insurance in America at least to ask your providers to see if, you know, a licensed art therapist is covered, if you could do in-network, out-of-network and try it, like see, see how that process is for you. And then if you don't have that licensed professional, then definitely just keep doing art, like do art. If you haven't done art, do art. Don't ever stop doing art because that in and of itself is a huge therapeutic process. And I think you could do a lot of self-work doing your own art, obviously in a safe space.
0: Hmm. You might've really convinced me to get back into it just there. I'm like, I'm looking for more hobbies, you know, more things to do that I'm just doing for fun, that I'm not trying to make money off of it or make a job out of it, which I know many people do with art, but I tend to do that too much with all of my hobbies. So if I go back to art, it would very much just be like you were just explaining something that's more therapeutic and something that's more just for yourself. Right. And I think that's such an important thing to remind ourselves that it's critical to have those things that you can tap into sort of your creative side and that you're just kind of doing it because you enjoy it and kind of shifting gears a little bit. Can you talk a little bit about your sort of perspective on the one of one NFT art market? Like, do you find that it's kind of oversaturated at this point? Or is it still sort of a hidden gem? And how do you think that plays into one's ability to grow their popularity in the space and actually make a living off of
1: selling their one-of-one art? Yeah, absolutely. And before I do, I also just want to emphasize, like, with people getting into art, take a class, like, find anything. Like, it could be pottery. It could be, like, anything. Like, you know, just have fun with it again. So I had to add that because I think... Adults just stop doing art and it's a shame. But as for the one over one space, right now, it's changed in the last eight months so much. And I think, not even that, I think I know for a fact, there are more artists in the space than there are collectors. So I've onboarded plenty of artists, right? We have to just keep the community up and keep onboarding collectors. Because that, in the end run, will completely push the ecosystem more and more and more. Do I think it's oversaturated? Not necessarily. Um, I think it's still early to be honest, because I have these conversations with people telling them about the one over one space. So I feel like a lot of people in web three and NFTs still are just more towards the generative PFP sides and like flipping and, you know, making an income and a profit that way, which, which is great. And is helpful, but I feel like there's still so much more that can be done in the one-over-one ecosystem. Right now, the ecosystem has grown so amazingly. There are a lot of art collectors that are well-known now in the space. You know, the platforms that are growing, Exchange Art, Form Function, Holoplex. like these platforms have done so much for artists in the space. So I think at the end of the day, anyone can be successful in this space if you are building relationships. I think if you're building relationships and you are obviously putting effort into your work and your art and you believe in it, you can be successful. And I know a lot of artists that have studied the space, maybe before dropping, and that's also helpful because this, the space changes like seasons. In the beginning, the art that was really booming was storytelling art in Solana, Like this storytelling, fantastical, like John Lay's pieces. Like he told a story through his first collection and that hit all time highs. And it came nowhere near what the PFP generative projects were hitting as in terms of floor price and sales. And if you think of I Am Laura L, like the the Lurkers collection, it's four pieces left. She just hit another all time high of 200 soul on her last piece that was sold. So I know her personally, and I know she talks about in spaces publicly that she did, she like looked into the space first, she looked around and saw what was, what was booming, and then kind of worked with the space itself. When I was first launching my stuff, the space wasn't really booming yet. And abstract definitely wasn't booming. But I was still pushing it because I believed in it. And I think as long as you're building those relationships, I was still able to sell out collections. Because I connected with people and I was advertising my own work. Like you have to post about it. You have to talk about it. You have to connect with people. So I think at the end of the day, if you can do that and push yourself to hop into spaces and jump in discords and talk to people, then you can absolutely be successful in the space. I think it helps when you're doing some homework and you're looking to see what collectors are collecting and what art is really working or what maybe is different that's missing also. Because I've had people ask me, like, do you think this is gonna be good in this space? Would this sell? And I'm like, if you haven't seen it, it doesn't mean don't do it. (laughs) It actually means go for it, try it. So I think the one over one ecosystem has so much potential because even if something doesn't work, you can just change it and then try something else. Like there's so many people that have we all have failed, you know, auction stories or like all time low stories, but the successes outweigh it because we're not stopping. It's just that continuous journey that we're all on that we're just creating and connecting and building we're all building this ecosystem together
2: it's interesting that you say the word ecosystem as it relates to -to one-to-one art because i'm i guess i'm wondering for myself like can you just touch on the differences holistically between the one-to-one kind of collection ecosystem versus traditional generative project and Like they end up being like startups or like companies more or less, but can you just talk about the differences that strike you the most?
1: Yeah, for sure. The differences, I mean, I feel like you get more quick flippers in generative projects, people investing in the one over one scene. They're investing in brands and talent and art, but they're also investing in the ecosystem that I'm talking about, like the future of the art history that we're living. So they're investing in like holding this piece, realizing that it's a piece of art history, as opposed to maybe some of the generative projects that are a piece of utility, right? That, that you can use or be a part of. Granted, one over one artists also carry utility. But I feel like that's what really the PFP projects are known for. It's like these brands, these utilities, this group of people. And, and I think they're super important together because that's also what helped me I would buy PFP projects and I would get into these communities to also push my brand so a lot of those discords used to have like shill channels like art poster art those were huge for me because I was now able to get into a community of maybe of a 10k PFP project and post my work in this 10k discord right so it's definitely a different space the one over one i do think is more people are looking at longevity not to say that you can't flip for a profit but i think that it's people that are sticking around in the one over one scene versus maybe the pfp scene that is more quick flips in my opinion
2: so last month, it looks like you sold out your um, one-to-one art collection called Color Theory. And I remember I had looked at a few of those pieces as well. But based on your pinned tweet, it looks like there's some like real-life component, perhaps involving like beer. Can you talk about that?
1: Oh, my God, yes. So my Color Theory collection was the last collection that I did. I'm super grateful it sold out. It was 10 pieces in total. And this was the the collection where I mentioned that I was layering glass and they're no longer existing in real life. So they only exist in the metaverse. And my first collector, so the first piece that I put up was bought by Zero X Admiral and he posted about it, which is always helpful for artists. And he said, the next person that joins the color theory collectors, uh, I will buy you a beer. (laughs) And then he hashtag collect for beer. And from that moment, so it was a utility that I didn't even come up with. It was birthed by my collectors. And then I was lucky and the only nom from Monkey Dow, he he got the second one. And then he added to that promise. He said, I will add on to a beer. So now we have two rounds of beers uh, being bought from, from these collectors. And then one by one, the collection sold out. And I was really grateful to have wonderful collectors like uh, It's Brad B., Sir Wayne Newton, who's a fellow artist. I am Laura L, Big Brain Gallery, which with Papa Mumu curates. And, you know, Nate Solomon, just really wonderful people all joined in the sentiment. And they were like, we'll all buy each other beers. And it just became this big C for B movement. And I was really lucky that in NFT NYC, most people from that collector's group were flying in. And we actually did a in real life beer toast with some Dijon Ape Academy beer at Empire Dow. And I got to cheers with my collectors and it was just, it was really wonderful. And it just, I think that's also a testament to the one over one space in the ecosystem is that it's really just really wonderful people uh, helping each other and lifting each other up and as excited for each other. And every single one of them that I met in real life just exceeded my expectations of just like how amazing they are in real life. Like you're just truly friends in this collector-artist relationship. So that is the, the Collect for Beer, C4B Bee initiative uh, from Color Theory, which you know we just talk about grabbing beers with each other. And when we're able to do it, we do it. Whenever anyone flies in or is in that area of the world that someone's in, they'll grab a beer.
2: That is awesome. I was actually going to ask you how NFT NYC went. Did you meet a lot of people or was it kind of like people within your circle that you were mostly familiar with?
1: So since I am a born and raised New Yorker, I did not actually purchase NFT NYC tickets to the actual conference. Like I said, I work, my in real life job is pretty hectic. So I wanted to dedicate my time to like the Solana meetups and and those things kind of after the conference. I mean, I've been to a billion conferences in my life, in my profession, and I always feel like the uh, happy hours after are sometimes more fun. So I went to yesterday. We had the Win event, the Women in NFTs event that was hosted by Empire DAO in Soho, New York, which is a wonderful, wonderful building and place to be. And it was all women and non binary artists showcased in a gallery. So at that event, they also had the DJ Academy beers. They had, you know, it was just a lot of good vibes and a lot of fun. So that was my big day yesterday. So it was meeting a bunch of people you know I got to meet Peanut. I got to meet all these like really amazing people Larry Bape was there like we're all just like chilling on this New York City roof which was a lot of fun
0: I'm hoping I can make it next year I- I'm over in Nashville but I do have family in New York but I had to stay home and watch the dogs <laughs> this time around so I didn't get to make it but I've seen all of the tweets and stuff and it sounds like it was a really great time
1: yeah definitely got to come out it's so exciting Having so many Web3 people in real, it's weird. It's like you're in your own alternate universe where you're able to talk about this stuff like in person and not just on Twitter or spaces. So it was definitely an interesting experience.
0: Yeah, I definitely really like the in real life NFT events because I personally don't really have anybody. Well, not not anybody. I have a couple people in my life who are in the NFT space, but very few. So when you're kind of surrounded by people who get it and speak the language, it's like, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm like, you know, I finally found my community, right? But, you know, based off everything we kind of talked about so far, you're clearly super passionate about the one-of-one NFT art space. And, you know, because of that, I can see you sort of staying a prominent contributor to that space for quite some time. But have you ever done artwork for a generative collection?
1: And if not, have you ever considered pursuing something like that? I actually have. It wasn't my favorite thing to do, if I'm being honest. I think there's still a lot of work with certain projects on how artists are compensated and how they're kind of treated in a PFP project. Not to say that, you know, all projects don't treat artists a certain way, but I would definitely be open to it in the future. I think it's a little harder with what I do specifically because I'm not a digital artist. I think there's amazing digital artists in the space that should definitely take over some of the PFP artwork because I think a lot of that artwork could be stepped up. There's some really amazing artwork and there's some that I'm just like, oh, this could be so much better. So so me personally, I don't know if I would delve back into that. I would not be not open to it. But I really love the the freedom of the one over one space. I think fiscally and financially, the PFP and the generative side of things could be really, really huge for artists, right? Because a PFP project can launch and in one day make a million dollars. And you get a percentage of that that's a huge payday for an artist if you, you know, set up the contract wisely. So I do think that is a very smart route for artists to go. And that people should hop into Discords and connect with people. And I know you guys connect people and and bring that together. And I think that's going to be huge for the space as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm very curious when you first started selling one of one NFT artwork. Do you recall how long it took you to sell your first piece, like once you put it up on the market?
1: Oh, yes. So I always tell people when you're selling artwork, it's not the moment that you put it up that you start selling it. You should start selling it a week before you put it up. Because if you just put it up and expect it to sell, then you are not necessarily going to be as successful as you want to be. I was like trying to put that nicely. I'm like, you're going to, you're not setting yourself up for failure, but you have a lower success rate because it's really all about how many eyes you can get on this piece to find the buyer. And not to say if your piece doesn't sell immediately, like your piece isn't good, just means the right eyes haven't found it yet. I mean, there's a lot of artists that haven't sold a piece yet. And that's because it's, it's not necessarily super easy to do. You do have to work at it. So it's hustling. So, My first collection outside of the commissions, when I actually just dropped a collection of one over ones, I was promoting that for like two weeks. I had the date up. I was talking about it. I was shilling it in spaces. And my first collector actually found in a spaces. He said, I'm going to buy your first piece. So before I even put it up, I had a buyer. And that's really important for artists to know and to hear. It's because it's not just put it up and hope for the best. You have to talk about it. You have to advertise. You are your own brand. You are your own business. You are your own HR department. You are your own advertising part department. You're everything. You're the creative part. You're your social media manager. Like you have to do it all. So it's not just you drop the art and you, you cross your fingers. It's, you're really hustling. So I was really grateful. I had my auction and someone bought that first piece. And then I was playing around with auctions and, you know, flat sales and things like that. And I found what works best for me. And that changes over time too. I always experiment with it, but it's just seeing what works. So for some people, auctions work. Some people, flat prices work better. There's pros and cons to both, but I was really grateful to have the buyers early on. I think it took me a couple days to sell out my first collection, maybe a weekend or two or three days which is still really amazing. Like like I said, making a sale is not necessarily really easy. It is a lot of work. So it's definitely doable in this space. And I want to emphasize that, but you have to put the work in to do it.
0: Yeah. And you said something earlier that was really striking to me that you made more in three months with NFTs than you did in three years on Instagram during the bull market. Mm-hmm. And that is just incredible, first of all. And I'm curious, like, and maybe there's not really an average here, but on a good week, like how many digital art pieces do you
1: typically sell? Can you even kind of quantify that? I can't quantify it weekly because it's like I do collection drops. So if I was doing this full time, and I did want to plan it out like that, I'm sure I could add that up. But it's a little harder not doing it full time. In the beginning, I was dropping a collection once a month. So my first three collections I dropped within the first four months of me being in the space. So the first month I was just building my profile. I was doing commissions. The second month I was like, I'm going to drop a series, sold it out. And then literally a month to that day, I dropped my second one. And then my third one a month from that day. And I was able to sell out those three collections really fast. So the second and the third one sold out in the same day. And It was really exciting and it was closer to the bull market rather than the bear market. And if I had taken profits in the first three months, I probably would have had about 10 to 15K in the beginning.
2: Wow. But
1: you gotta hold to zero. That's the trick.
2: (laughs) Yep, exactly. So I'm super curious because you mentioned part of your process too is to kind of create the hype and create the attention, get the eyes on your product before you've even listed the product, right? So, with that in mind, does that factor into your pricing for the art pieces that you produce or the, for the entire collection? Do you base it on level and effort and time put in? How do you how do you approach that?
1: That is approached so differently by so many people right now. The meta is auctions from a lot of people, right? And that's changed over time like that wasn't always the meta, right? In the beginning, when I started, Holoplex was the only platform that even had auctions. Like this was before Exchange had auctions. This is before Form Function even existed yet. Like, so it's definitely changed over time. And as time has evolved, some people are just dropping one piece once a week, right? And they're auctioning it off one or two pieces. That was very different from when I was dropping my collections. I was dropping eight pieces, flat sales and going here. Or I was dropping, you know, four pieces and auctioning them, going here, like, let's go. So, in terms of pricing, you definitely want to see what works best for you. Uh, For me personally, right? Like, I'm very grateful that I don't need to do this to pay my bills because I have my in real life job. I know some people do use this to pay their rent, and that affects kind of their pricing. And I always tell people, How you price it, it's up to you how fast or slow you want to sell it. Obviously, the lower you price, if you do a flat price, the higher the chance, the faster the chance you sell, the higher you list it as, it might take a little longer, right? But it doesn't mean it won't sell. So I always tell people, if you're okay with waiting and you feel like that price is what it should be based on your time and your effort and the the piece that you artistically produced, then do that. So for me, that's kind of what I did. I upped my prices after each collection because I felt like I was building my brand. And also you want to build this for your collectors. Like you have collectors that invest in you. So I don't want to sell a piece for, let's say, four soul and then post another piece tomorrow at a flat price of one soul. Because now I've just devalued what my holders have. So you always also want to drive the sales for your investors like you want to have them be able to increase what they've bought so those are like other things to think about too or you do an auction and you set the price that you want for your reserve like what is your minimum that you'd be okay someone walking away from this if you've only gotten one bid which happens so Pricing for me, it's it's definitely tricky. It's always a conversation. I love talking about in spaces because it's like one of the most frequently asked questions, I think, for new artists coming in is what do I price it out? And it's really just playing around with it and see what works best. Auctions are really great if you have that presence and if you get the right eyes on it and collectors, you know, that can shoot up. I've seen it happen with new artists in the space that's their first auction and then bam, people have a bid war on it, right? It's, it doesn't happen every minute of the day but it it happens.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And kind of shifting gears a little bit, in the web3 space there's this like lack of transparency around Payment, compensation, what people should be making when they do different things in the space. And because of this, we think it's such an important conversation to have and to ask people who are willing to share that information. I feel like for you, it's a little bit tricky because, like you said, you drop collections. So it's not like you're kind of salaried or, or getting paid a certain amount per week or per month, but could you just talk a little bit about, from a financial perspective, how much you're sort of able to make through your one-of-one one art and maybe even how much you've made when you
1: helped out with that generative collection? Yeah. So for the one-over-one art side right now, it's it's a bear market. So I, I made a mistake and I didn't take profits. And I think that's a mistake we, a lot of us make because we think everything's going to go to the moon and not stop going to the moon ever. But crypto is volatile and it's really important to move some stuff to stablecoin to take profits out. And it doesn't have to be 100%. Obviously, you want to divide it up. But for me, this was something new and fun. And I like I said, I thankfully don't need this to pay my bills. So I wanted to see what I can do with it. And coming into the space, honestly, my goal was to pay off my student loans. This, This is like the big crisis in our country, right is our student loan debt. And Creative art therapists have to go to private schools. So that was one of my goals coming into the space. I was like, oh my God, people can do this here. It's actually obtainable here. So I was holding to try to make as much as I could. Right now, I'm still just holding. And what I also do is I also started flipping generative projects too. I have some that I hold with communities and you can also make a lot doing that. And you can make a lot doing that and reinvesting it into the space as well. So as far as the PFP project as an artist, like like I said, that was on my part. One of my mistakes is I was saying yes to things because I thought I had to and I needed to, to like build my name and do things and see how cool this was. The project wanted to work with me and I didn't take anything that I should have taken So I didn't kind of set the commission price early on. It was really just a royalty price, which was, I'm happy to talk about, it was a mistake. It was a big mistake. And artists should be paid up front and you should also take a percentage of the mint. So that is things that you should work out with the devs and work out with the project team is that if your art is being used, then you should not only have a royalty on it, you should get a portion of the mint And you should also be paid and commissioned for your time. You shouldn't be just hoping that this is going to be a project that moons, right? Not every project sells out. So things to forewarn artists that it's okay to say no, it's okay to set your standards. And there's going to be more projects in the future if that project doesn't work out. So I think that's the other thing in the space. A lot of us panic sometimes sometimes because we think we need to do these things to push our brand and to just jump on the next thing. But we don't have to do that. Like there's going to be better opportunities and more deals and the space doesn't stop. Like if you're continuously in the space, you're not going to not have anything happen again or not have any other opportunity pop up. So I didn't really answer like you fiscally exactly. Cause for me, my drops, if I drop a collection of, uh, eight to ten pieces and my last collection sold at four soul each so four times ten that's a 40 soul collection drop each collection it varies by pieces and it varies by price and I was doing flat prices so that could also vary if you do auctions so it's good to just map out how many pieces you want in your collection and what your minimum price you think would be and how much solana you can essentially gain from just that one drop so if you're doing that drop monthly you can think oh I can make let's say 40 soul a month or you know if you look at the other artists that are doing the once a week auctions that's four times a week they're making x amount of money let's say 10 soul or up that's another 40 soul if you're doing 10 soul times four weeks but you can definitely map it out if you're hustling. It doesn't have to be this mysterious, I hope I make money in this space. Like you can actually map it out as well.
2: I like that a lot. I actually really resonated with what you said regarding just how quickly the space moves and how while some opportunities are gonna fly by you, there's so many more that are coming up. And it makes me wonder where the entire space is gonna be in the next like two, three, five, ten years, combining that with the fact that you were mentioning that this is kind of a transition, like an inflection point within all of art history where creators can get paid in perpetuity for their art and for the amount of eyes and attention that they have on their collection. So I'm wondering, as a one-to-one artist, how are you positioning yourself well in light of the fact that pretty much an entire paradigm shift is happening in art history right now?
1: I am positioning myself by being here. I think that's the key for people. It's And it's hard, too, because, you know, we have to talk about mental health in this space because the space never stops, which is unhealthy because we as humans have to stop. We cannot go 24-7 like this space is. The space is worldwide. 24-7. So it really is emphasizing that this is a marathon and not a sprint. And I think people can get caught up in the... Not, I don't want to say the gambling aspect of it, but like.
2: Uh, it's a bit degen. You could say
1: gambling. <laughs> the aspect of it. Like, it's easy to get caught. I was getting caught up in it, and I hit a burnout point where, like, okay, I'm posting a little less. Like, I could take some time. It's okay. I, I was talking with a collector yesterday, and he was like, yeah, there's so much pressure on artists to put out work, but I can take a vacation. Like, why can't you? So, you're positioning yourself by being here and taking care of yourself because if you're here to stay, Then you're here. If you think about the OG Solana one over one artists, we can name them in this space. Like a lot of them are still around and they are a part of the history of the ecosystem. So if you're here and you're posting and you're connecting with people and you're putting out art, then you're doing it. Like you don't have to hit those all time high sales every week or every month even to position yourself in a good spot because it can all change in a second, right? Like think about uh, a random airdrop that you get that may be ten thousand worth $10,000, right? Or like you never know what's gonna happen in this space. Like it, it's ever changing. So if you're in the space, things are gonna happen. And realizing how important this is in art history and the time that we're in where people still don't even know about this space yet fully or understand it, or there's like a protest about NFTs, Uh, in new york
2: was that real that wasn't real right i think that was real (laughs) (laughs) no way it
1: might have been
0: real it's new york i swear i i looked it up because i had seen people posting about it on twitter and i don't know if this is true but i saw an article that says some like streetwear clothing brand like put the whole thing on it was just like a a marketing stunt but i don't know who knows
2: that's so bullish though that's so funny. exactly.
1: So, with this phrase, is so overused because we're still early. Like we are, though, because people like brands are just starting to get involved. Like big brand names. Uh, think about what Magic Eden has been doing. Like it's overturning OpenSea right now, right? Especially in Solana, which is where I've positioned myself. Like if you're just here, people are going to know your name, and the friendships that you have are going to continue. Like we're going to bring each other higher, because. These opportunities are going to happen and they're going to reach out to artists and they're going to be like, hey, do you know this artist? And they're like, actually, my friend over here would be perfect for that. Or let's get something together, like all the collectives that are happening. Like those are collectors and artists coming together to create these things. So I'm just ranting at this point about how bullish I am. Like you just have to be here. If you're here, you're positioning yourself.
2: Moussa, you you said something that really, really stuck with me. It was when you mentioned how fast the space is moving. And in my mind, it was that immediate contrast with just pausing and taking a little bit of time either to connect with the community, connect with people, create art, connect with a creator of art. And I think for mental health, it's probably important that we stop and pause and just not even have to think or have to do anything, but to just exist like kind of at peace. So I saw this fascinating Medium post yesterday about why this guy was uh, quitting higher ed education. And he was talking about how impossible it is to compete with all of these kids on their phones. And they're just, they're sharing TikToks with each other. They're just, they're distracted 24 seven. They always have some kind of stimulation going. That can't be healthy for your brain, can it? I don't like, I really don't think it is. And it kind of ties into my next question, which is like, are there any traits or anything that you believe is underrated in this space? So for example, that could be like patience. I just want to hear your answer here. I'm really excited to see what you saw.
1: I'm glad you're pointing this out because we do have to take breaks. Like touch grass Sunday, I love is a thing and it should forever be a thing because if we don't take breaks, then we burn out and burnout, I can't emphasize this enough is so real um I've experienced it in my profession I've experienced it in NFTs like we see it all the time so in this space you have to take breaks and I agree with you like kids growing up and screen time and it's really not healthy to have so much blue light on you all times because it I was listening to a documentary recently or or a talk even and the blue light is registering into your brain as daytime right so that messes with your melatonin it messes with your chemicals and your sleep cycle which can then trigger into depression and anxiety and other you know mental health illnesses so it is really important to close the screens and don't get me wrong i'm guilty of it too i you know scroll sometimes in bed and i'm on twitter spaces too long or whatever it is but i think it really is underrated how Difficult being consistent is in this space, like to really post and engage and like come up with things to post. I mean, your analytics is really important on your Twitter. It's like how many hits are you getting? What are you posting? Or people seeing it? And that consistency is really hard to do. It looks easier than it is, you know, to be that engaged or even to host spaces. Host spaces is they're time consuming. Like when I host after work, like that's my evening. Like I'm not doing anything after that. Like that is my night basically. So it definitely takes a lot of patience. And I think the consistency is what is really difficult in the space.
0: Yeah. Uh, couldn't have said it better myself. And just to kind of close it out here. And I feel like we talked about a lot of things that could be taken as advice throughout the course of this conversation. But if we were to distill it down to one piece of advice that you could give somebody wanting to get started as a one-on-one artist in this
1: space, what would that be? Post. Like, it's, it's even just one word, like, post. That was the advice that was given to me. Like, it doesn't have to be minted yet. It doesn't have to be for sale yet post post what you're working on post your process post what you're doing post your studio um you know just post because the more you post the more traffic you'll get The more traffic you get the easier you could build your page and if you're building your page when you are ready to drop your first piece it's going to be that much easier to get eyes on it so like obviously you know you're creating like do your create take time for yourself look into the space connect with people but post, even post on other people, like comment and start conversations. Like all my collectors, for the most part, I love, I have wonderful relationships with them. Like we've talked or we've had conversations or we've been able to connect in real life, which I'm grateful for. So it's really just important to post and start that conversation with people. And I've, I've talked to people that identify as introverts and, and this may be difficult for them and I totally get it we're all friends here and it's realizing that like everyone is here for that reason. And it's okay to post about your art. If you know, some people feel a type of way that they don't want to brag or post or shill or, you know, sound like they're selling something like, but you are, you are a business. So do it unapologetically. I love that advice
0: because it really sheds light on how anybody can do it. Anybody can come into this space and be successful here. And If you get one lesson out of this conversation with Beth, it should be that, right? Just jump into it and just post. (laughs) So that is all the questions we had for you, Beth. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. You provided some super incredible insight into just how like NFTs are giving power back to artists and creators in a way that will undoubtedly go down in history. So as a traditional artist, if you didn't come out of this episode thinking about how you can start to capitalize on NFTs tomorrow, then you might be missing out on an amazing opportunity. And Beth provided some great tips on how you can get started and how you can be successful in this space. So before we close it out, Beth, do you have any closing thoughts or any details on how people can keep up with you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So like I said, my Twitter handle is art by beth c, b e t h c, and it really is about like even this podcast episode, right? It's us connecting. It's sliding into DMs, it's messaging people. So, if you are an artist or you have created art and you are not selling your art as an NFT, then you're missing out on an opportunity to make potentially life-changing money. And that I also just wanted to emphasize. Like just message people, post, talk to people. If you like something, message them, right? Start a conversation. All the connections I've made or opportunities I've had have come from just talking with people in this space. And this space is truly wonderful. So if anyone ever has questions about onboarding or wants to join, my DMs are always open. I'm, I've onboarded people. I love to do it because we're all here to grow the space. And it's there's nothing better than doing that so we're here for you and I know plenty of artists that will have share the same sentiment as me because they've helped other artists and myself included so we're here and I'm excited for the future all right thank you so
0: much Beth it was a pleasure having you
1: thank you so much for having me it was great talking with you guys
0: All right, guys, that is all we have for you today. Make sure to follow at ArtByBethC on Twitter. If you'd like to keep up with us, we're at Web3ConnectX. And if you'd like to see a specific guest on the podcast in the future, shoot us a DM and we'll try our best to get them on for you. But otherwise, we'll see you next week.